Hey loves, welcome to The Quick Tip. I'm your host, Dejada. And I'm Kamisa, and we are a part of the team at Sister Afia Community Mental Wellness in Chicago. The Quick Tip is a podcast where we discuss relatable topics and Black women's mental wellness. We provide thoughtful reflections, quick tips, and leave you with some things to take action on to improve your mental wellness. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the Quick Tip Podcast. I'm Kamisha. I'm Dejada. And I'm Farah. And today we are going to be talking about emotional intelligence at work. This is a part of our Black Women at Work series. And emotional intelligence is a practice that has gained more popularity, especially in workplaces. With the rise of attention in emotional intelligence, there is a missing lens one that incorporates the experiences of people of marginalized groups in the workplace. One woman is advancing emotional intelligence inside and outside of the workplaces of outside of workplaces while centering the experiences of people of color. Today we'll be doing a deep dive into emotional intelligence with Farah Harris, a psychotherapist, speaker, and consultant at Working Well Daily. Farah Harris is a psychotherapist and founder and CEO of Working Well Daily, a company that approaches workplace belonging and well-being from a psychosocial and emotional intelligence lens. As a speaker and consultant, she has empowered individuals and Fortune 500 companies to develop healthy work environments where leaders and teams have grown in empathy, self-awareness, and sociocultural awareness. Farah is also the author of the new book, The Color of Emotional Intelligence, Elevating Ourselves and Social Awareness to Address Inequities, a groundbreaking exploration of how cultural background and identity influence our emotional intelligence and shape our relationship with others. Farah, welcome to the Quick Tip Podcast. I am so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And if you could start with just telling us a little bit about yourself and what led you to focus on workplace wellness and also Black women and their experiences in the workplace. Sure. I'll, I'll try to give you the short version. <laughs> so I have a very, I guess, colorful background. So I started off in economics and then sociology and then into marketing And then when I was let go of my corporate marketing position, I took a year off and was led into the mental health field. And so once I got here, I knew I was in the right place. I didn't know exactly where I was going to go with it. You know, beyond private practice, I was like, I think there's something beyond the couch, beyond the one-on-one. And because my husband's still in corporate, my clients that were coming in were professional black men and women. I said, okay, y'all coming with stress. And some of the stress that you're coming in with is workplace stress. And we know in these yet to be United States that we don't do work well here, right? We, we struggle with, you know, reasonable paternity leave and, and parental leave and grief, bereavement, like all the things that impact our lives. We just don't seem to create space for that human experience within the workplace. And definitely for those of us who have been pushed to the margins intentionally or unintentionally, historically and systemically 
work does not, our work experience is not the same. And so that is really how I came to go, okay, you know, I have my private practice, but I do think I, I can do some work beyond the one-on-one and really try to address these unhealthy work environments and really highlight the experiences of so many of us who are going to work, just trying to be and do our best work. But because of systemic reasons and issues, we're not able to do that. And so hence Working Well Daily came to be, wanted to broaden the scope of mental health, that it wasn't just you know, depression or anxiety, and even though these are very important things, but, you know, you and I both are in the mental health field. We understand that it's a divorce. It's a miscarriage. It's COVID, right? And so really trying to enlarge the understanding of the, un- the understanding of what mental health is and the broad view of it and the depths that we can go with it in the workplace is so important to me. And that's how Working Well Daily came into existence. Thanks for sharing. Can you provide like a brief overview of what emotional intelligence entails? And I know you specified that Black people specifically struggle in a workplace, especially with just like our general experience as Black people, but also Mm -hmm. everyday life stuff and just traumatic events that can happen like a divorce or marriage. I mean, miscarriage. But yeah, can you speak more about the emotional intelligence part of it? Sure. So I try to say that emotional intelligence and simplicity is being able to know yourself and be able to read the room. It's being able to know your emotions, how you handle emotions, managing these emotions well, recognizing emotions in others, and being able to be aware of how your actions can land on somebody else. And so when you know yourself well, and you know, okay, these are my triggers, this this is what sparks joy, this is what I struggle with, then you can better manage your relationships with others because I I use the example of I am the walking Snickers commercial. Like I get hangry when I'm hungry. And so uh, my kids understand that I need to eat before you can engage with me first thing in the morning. And so using my emotional intelligence is being able to go, hey, I recognize if I am too tired or if I'm too hungry, I could be short. I could be impatient. I may not be effective in my communication. So therefore, I can now actually effectively communicate and say, can you give me 10 minutes so that I can have a snack? Then mommy can engage with you and we can talk. And they know, oh, I'm not annoying. Mommy's not mad at me. You know, they have a clear understanding as to mommy's attitude is because mommy needs to eat, not because I did something wrong. So when we're thinking about our emotional intelligence or our our EQ, our emotional quotient, it's really the capacity to manage and understand the feelings within ourselves and in others, but definitely making sure that we're recognizing how we're impacting other people. Mm -hmm. Oh, how second part to your question. No, go ahead. I do have a a question to to the answer that you gave to the first part. I feel like it can, especially with 
our backgrounds, I know we all come from different different backgrounds, but from for those who come from families who struggle to express emotions and it just get passed down. Like for me, I am learning now at in my mid-20s how to say I need space instead of stonewalling. But it took me a long time to understand that I was even stonewalling. So what could be the first step people can take to even understand their emotions? That's a really good question. And I'm actually glad that you brought that up because that is what I felt was missing in the conversations about emotional intelligence is what I call your emotional narrative. Like, where do we learn about feelings? Like, We can't sit here and talk about elevating our EQ and being smart with feelings. And yet we don't talk about what we learned from our home life. Right. So I had a speaking engagement this weekend and I asked that question to the audience, like, how did your family of origin, you know, talk about feelings and stuff. And they were like, yeah, we didn't talk about feelings. There were no emotions. And I was like, Mm -hmm. time out. There were, they just (laughs) didn't look like what you're thinking they should have looked like. So when you stonewalled or when someone was being sarcastic or when you got the silent treatment or when somebody is cussing somebody out, like that's all emotion. (laughs) You know, you may not have sat at the dinner table. Well, Bobby, tell me about your day. You know, how did that Mm -hmm. make you feel? It may not have looked Mm -hmm. like that. It could have just been, oh, dad is getting another drink. You know. It could be mom left and didn't tell us where she was going. You know, those are unhealthy ways that people were regulating or, you know, they were dysregulated and they found these unhealthy ways to regulate. And once we start going back and going, okay, what did I see my dad do when he was angry? What did I see my grandma do when she was upset? What did I see my sister, you know, how do we as a family accept when somebody cried or did we not accept somebody's tears? Like really being able to take a moment to kind of understand our narratives lets us know, oh, this is what I'm bringing into my relationships, whether it's mm-hmm. in the, you know, in the workplace or in our personal relationships with our romantic partners, with our kids, with our friends. Usually we're modeling whatever it is that we learn. You know, so we found somebody shutting down, we might be shutting down or we may do the opposite, right? Like, oh, my mom shut down. I'm not going to do that. So now you push people into a conversation before they're ready, right? Like we're going to address this right now. And the other person's like, yo, I need some time to process, but you may be taking it as they're um, running away or they're being conflict avoidant. And it could be, no, they're introverts and they need to process and they need some time. So really being able to understand your emotional narrative and just ask yourself the question like, yeah, how do we talk about feeling? How do we manage? How do we address? How do we show emotions when we were growing up? Was it acceptable? What emotions were acceptable? What emotions weren't? You know, sometimes we could accept, oh, we didn't rock the boat. Everybody was happy. My parents never argued. I'm always giving a side eye when I hear that. <laughs> like they never. Because <laughs> what they didn't say, what they didn't say. <laughs> yeah. Right, Kamisha. I was like, mm, okay. And then all of a sudden, we don't know what happened. Then they got divorced. I thought they were happy. You you know, so you never yeah. never saw people handle conflict well. It's like, we're not going to rock the boat. So I would encourage 
anyone who's wanting to figure out how to be more aware to elevate their EQ is to start with where and how did I learn about feelings? And that's just even one part, because I'm asking about the family of origin. Then you add the societal mm -hmm. aspect. And what do we tell women? You know, what do we tell boys? What do we tell men is okay and what's not okay? More often than not, we're telling boys, man up, right? And little girls, stop mm -hmm. whining, don't complain. Then we hit puberty. Is it that time of the month? You know, so we can't be tender. And that in itself makes it difficult for us to express our emotions in healthy ways. Okay. And so for when it comes to the workplace and emotional intelligence and even learning how to understand how people understand emotions individually, just like how can we, how can one have emotional intelligence in the workplace when also working through what emotions are and just learning that learning about themselves in the part of emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. So the self-awareness part, mm -hmm. how can they have awareness in the workplace of other people's emotions when they are trying to figure out their own? That's my question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I knew where you were going with that because it is a both and right. So when we think about emotional mm -hmm. intelligence, Typically, we're looking at it in four domains, and there's two that have to do with ourselves and two that have to do with others. And so we have our self-awareness, which is being able to, to be aware of our feelings, you know, name them, but not just name them, like being able to be aware of what, how they're showing up in your body, right? So anger may be tensing up your shoulders. I realize that when I'm really, really, really overwhelmed, I like bite the insides of my cheeks. Mm -hmm. And I never really noticed that before, but when I was experiencing postpartum depression and was extremely overwhelmed and, and, and dealing with just a child that, that wouldn't sleep, when things would get to the point where I'm like, I can't handle, I was like, whoa, why do the insides of my mouth hurt? And I realized, <laughs> oh, because that's where you're holding all the tension. Mm -hmm. And, but it could also be like butterflies in your stomach when you're excited about something. And so sometimes our body actually lets us know how we're feeling before we can name the emotion. So that's the self-awareness piece. And then the other part is self-management. So it's the regulating yourself. It's the recognizing what your triggers are, being able to slow yourself down and practice the pause and say, I may need to count to 10. I may need to count to a hundred. I may need to go for a walk. I may need to listen to music. Just finding ways to to slow ourselves down. So especially like in the workplace that you're not hitting reply all instantly because you got an email and then your dumb butt didn't realize that you were BCC'd and it had nothing to do with you. And you are like just doing something too soon. You're very reactive. And so that, that self-regulation, self-management part is to be able to go, hey, I'm feeling this way. Why am I feeling this way? What's bringing up this emotion? Okay, now that makes sense. Let me slow down and find a way. Maybe I need to call Kamisha and process this first, you know, before I go and address, you know, Mary, you know, in, in the break room. Like maybe I need to 
sleep on it because it, it could be I'm just having an off day and how this person responded to me in the meeting may have nothing to do with me and have everything to do with whatever's going on with them. So just taking that time to regulate. And then the second, uh, the second half of EQ is the social piece of social awareness. This is where you're empathizing. You're really trying to see the other person's perspective and trying to help them in some kind of way. So as clinicians, we understand that empathy puts us in a position to serve. And that doesn't mean that we fix our clients' problems, but we give them space for them to process, for them to find their own answers. Sometimes just meeting them where they are is, is what's helping them to you know move through whatever it is that they're going through. So when we're empathizing with other people, it's not that we take on their stuff, but that we go, I see where you're coming from. I can understand why this would make you upset. Um, I may not fully agree, but man, you know, that that gives me so much more understanding as to why you act and why you behaved in this manner. And then the last part is the relationship management, which is where you are able to be motivating and and inspiring to to those in your team and those around you without being manipulative, right? So you're able to get people to be focused on a goal, but without having them feel like they're being manipulated or it's contrived and you're able to also manage conflict well and effectively communicate. So it's definitely a thing where you have to be aware of how you're showing up in the space, but taking a moment to see how somebody else is showing up in the space. So it's work, which is why a lot of people <laughs> don't want to necessarily elevate their emotional intelligence because it's like, nah, that sounds like too much work. I'd rather just kind of be self-centered. We may not say it, but that's how our actions will be. Is that, you know, now I'm having a bad day. So they going to get whatever yeah. it is they get, you know? And instead of going mm -hmm. like, well, you're not the only one that's having a bad day. And if you're having a bad mm -hmm. day, how is that impacting everybody else? You know, how is that messing up the workflow? How is that, you know, impacting the opportunity for collaboration and creativity with your team? So it, it is something where it takes practice every moment, all the time. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely uh, relate to that because I feel like there are times where I feel good coming to work, but then maybe my coworker doesn't have the same vibe going. And I say, oh, hey, how you doing? You want to go for a walk? And they're like, no, not right now. And I'm like, well, typically you always say, yeah. And just trying not to take it personally and understanding mm -hmm. that they may be dealing with something else. But I feel like previous me would start overthinking immediately, like, and take on whatever mm -hmm. feeling that they're putting off. But as time goes on, I'm learning to just like what you, like you said, it's hard and it takes time, but just not allowing just being aware of how I feel and also being aware that I can tend to take on people's problem and creating a boundary and a barrier to not do that. So thank you for confirming <laughs> that I am on the right path. <laughs> and I, you know, even with what you shared fair, like for us not doing this work, what is the cost, right? Like what is the cost to the person? What is the cost to the company? if we don't have emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I think what's interesting 
is how over the past couple years, the workplace has shifted because people are saying, I don't want to work with bosses who don't care about who I am as a person or not aware of these things that are happening in my life and are not giving me grace or support or working in companies where it's all about the goal, it's all about the bottom line, but it's not about being aware and empathetic of one another in the workplace. Um, so I definitely think, even though it's, I think it's a lot of work, but it's worth it opposed to not doing it. Yes. <laughs> and the fallout that can happen after. A hundred percent. I'm like, we suffer. We suffer in the workplace. We suffer in our relationships when we're not practicing emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 And so like, that's what like kind of excites me about this coming into the forefront because it's something tangible. It's something that like everyone can do. Even if you're in, not even in therapy, I feel like it's something that people can really understand from, you know, various viewpoints of where they are, where they may be at in life. And so in your book, you talk about weathering, which um, I had never heard that term before, but the weathering of the constant stress of racism leading to adverse health outcomes. Um, and you talk about a Black woman at the job who was really struggling um, and it turned into um, some challenging health-related issues and those things that manifested, you know, was kind of staying the course, like, you know, I can't quit or, you know, things will get better. Being able to make it through something on the inside, you know, physically and mentally, you know, in some ways really suffering and deteriorating. So I would love for you to kind of just share more about weathering, you know, like how it shows up. And, you know, what are things that we can do as Black women to really be in tune with our mental and physical well-being when we're in, you know, workplaces that can be really challenging? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So the term weathering, if you think about just like erosion, right, when you think about what happens naturally in nature, if, you know, water going consistently on a rock will smooth it out eventually. You know, when we think about, you know, things just kind of sitting out and, and, and getting eroded, you know, if you think about like iron or rust, those type of things, this is what's happening to us in the workplace when we are constantly hypervigilant because we're feeling like we're in an unsafe space, especially if you are um, a black woman. So you now have this intersectionality of race and sexism, you know, so you have the massage noir that could be happening to you. Uh, so you may be sexually harassed, but you may deal with, you know, racial aggressions, all of those things just get to, you know, get at you. It eats away at you. If you're constantly in survival mode, we know that, you know, just general stress increases our cortisol. So if it's constant stress, because we're going to work every single day and then weekends, you may not even be able to turn that off. You know, Sunday, they call it the Sunday scaries. You know, you're already having anxiety about the next day. So literally you're in this perpetual state of stress and survival. And that increased cortisol can impact you in the sense of like giving you brain fog, depression, 
uh, anxiety. Uh, it can impact your immune system. So you may find yourself finding it difficult to get rid of a cold. Um, I believe, and I'm, there are several women that I interviewed, so I can't remember if the story in that particular part of the book, if this is when she was experiencing hair loss, you know, but I do know black women who've experienced ulcers, like all of these things are happening to us and we're not paying attention to it or we're not attributing that it's work related, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, you're going to the doctor and it's like, you got hypertension, you're going to the doctor and, you know, your skin's breaking out or you've gotten, you know, your hair's thinning or you're getting ball spots and you're like, what, what is that? And, you know, I, I can't remember the stat exactly, but I, I almost want to say it's like one in two black women experience some type of like heart related issue due to stress. And when we're combining it with also the things that we carry in life, you know, if you're the oldest child, if you are a single parent, if you are um, a parent in general, you know, I have neurodivergent kids, you know, so you're, you know, we have our lives outside of work that can bring its own stress. And so then you couple it with the lack of psychological safety for black women in majority of workplaces. Our our well-being and our mental health just starts slowly eroding and and suffering. And again, I'm forgetting my stats. I have the book in front of me and I was like, oh, I forgot to grab the stat. But about like our, what is it? Like the the internal age of like, I think of a, of a black man is, you know, um, almost like 10 or 20 years older than their white counterpart due to the experiences of, of racism. So like, this is aging us, you know, having to deal with these isms. And so even if you may show up, cause you know, we can show up and still look fly. We, we, what is it? You know, we be so blessed that you can't tell how stressed we actually are. And it's like, okay, right. Maybe popping, but you sitting here also popping pills. because You need to be on medication for whatever it is that you have going on. And so that's the part that grieves me is that we have these workplaces that are really contributing to the, the, demise and and to the how can i say to these negative health outcomes that we experience because folks don't want to check themselves folks don't want to literally be just decent human beings and and treat the workplace with with dignity with humanity with equity so you have black women just saying you know i know i got to work twice as much to get half as much and I'm tired, but I got bills to pay. So I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to carry it and I'm going to be burdened by it. And the toxicity of the workplace ends up becoming toxic within our own physical bodies. And we need a change. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. Just more. There's a quote in your book that kind of leans on what you're saying about how many Black individuals show up as dysfunctional versions of themselves in order to have functional relationships in predominantly white spaces. How have you seen this in your work as a therapist and as a consultant in, in the corporate workspaces? 
and just like what type of advice do you give um, to your clients when when they fit in this category? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I'm talking about us showing up as dysfunctional versions of ourselves, you know, which is just unhealthy versions of ourselves, things that we are doing that don't bode well for our well-being. And part of it is what we talk within our Black community as code switching. So I have a chapter in my book called Code Switching by Another Name, because when you really think about it clinically, so I'll just break down a little bit for your your listeners. So code switching historically is actually a linguistic term. So it means, especially for those who are bilingual or multilingual, it's when you like go from one language to another. So I'm Haitian. So I'm so used to Kringlish around me where it will go from Creole to, you know, Haitian Creole to English. And you kind of have like this mixture, you know, for my Spanish speaking listeners, you you know, the Spanglish. But for the Black community, especially the African-American community, we've kind of co-opted that term to mean when you show up in a way that we believe is acceptable to our white counterparts. And we learned how to show up in this way due to the time of enslavement where, you know, we couldn't speak directly to a white person. You had to kind of humble, quote unquote, your speech. You had to look down. You had to kind of carry yourself as less than. And even though we are no longer in, you know, the time of like chattel slavery, that mentality of, hey, you have to kind of almost assimilate to these white people now. And, you know, we may call it the customer service voice, like, hi, hello, how are you? It's so nice to meet you, Kamisha. I mean, it's a pleasure for me to be here. Like all of a sudden, you know, our voices go up an octave. We're very, very articulate with our words. And that could be one way of code switching, right? Because right after be like, man, please, you know, and slip into our natural, you know, black vernacular speech. And, or it could be, you know, just how we dress, you know, depending on your personality, you may like some bright colors. You may like to wear certain fabrics or whatever, but it's not appropriate, quote unquote, for the workplace. So you're not even dressing the way that you want to. You may be rocking wigs because you got a natural and be like, ah, they act funny when my hair is in its natural state. So I'm going to rock a weave. I'm going to rock a wig. I'll wear my locks a certain way just so that I don't have to deal with the ignorant comments that they say or whatever. So all of that is really in the clinical term masking it's it's putting on a mask to hide how we actually want to show up our genuine selves to protect ourselves and so you know and if we kind of lean out of the race and go into you know disability like neurodivergence where you know autistic Mm -hmm. people understand oh i can only i can't stem in front of people because they may view that as 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 weird. So I'm not going to do that. I shared earlier (laughs) before we got on, because you literally told me what to do and I immediately forgot. So my ADHD, you know, (laughs) I recognize that I'll, I'll ask somebody for their name. I'm so big about names, especially since people screw up my name sometimes. So I'm like, I really want to get your name. But the minute you tell me, I'm probably going to forget. And I hate that, but I have to go Yo, unless I'm writing it down or I'm seeing it like visually, I'm going to mess up. But 
there's this shame that happens if you're impulsive with ADHD, you know, you interrupt somebody in a conversation, you might be overly talkative. And so you just start being quiet and you just like, don't speak and you don't want to mess up. You don't want to rock the boat. That's all masking. So as a black woman who is neurodivergent or has any other type of disability, you may feel like you have to bring a representative. Like this isn't me, but this is what y'all accept here. And that hiding of your true self is what causes the weathering. That hiding of your true self is what causes you to, what, what hurts my heart too is when I have black women therapy clients where I'm like, you give so much of your energy trying to be socially aware in these white spaces. And then you come home to the people who love you and you don't give them that same level of patience and understanding. And I get it because you're tired. <laughs> you know, you're tired of putting up a front. <laughs> you know, tired of putting up a front, tired of saying, you know, yes, sir. And then doing all of that. And I'm not saying that we're always chucking and driving. It's not always that, but it can feel that way. Cause it's like, we're putting on a show to, to be okay. For my introverted black sisters who like, man, peopling is a lot, but then you got to feel like you got to be on because they only accept extroverted type of behaviors as you really being part of the team. It gets exhausting. So you come home to your, your man, your girl, your kids, and you're not giving them that same level of social awareness, that same level of patience, that same level of EQ. And that also is what hurt me. And I was like, let's not use EQ for survival and not use it as self-care. Let's, mm -hmm. let's take a moment and actually be honorable to our feelings in real time in these relationships with white folks and get comfortable with their discomfort. Like you're going to see these mm -hmm. curls, you're going to, you're going to get the vernacular. If I have to explain myself, I'll explain myself, but I'm not going to not use a word just because you don't know what the word means. I had to sit here and talk about yeah. friends episodes <laughs> and it's just like, y'all going to get this living single. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> Like, the original. The original. Copy, living Thank you. Copy and paste and didn't even paste right. And so it's like <laughs> all of those things that we learn, right? We learn to kind of be in their, their world. And my hope is that, especially to my white readers of my book, that they start stepping outside of their world and realizing that, yo, we've been here. There's other people mm -hmm. in this world with you. And, and it's about time that you start recognizing that we exist and that we, we should actually be able to be comfortable in this space with you. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually um, thinking about that. Like I was just walking down the street and I was just like, I wonder if they even think for one second that there are millions of people in this country who have had to assimilate to a world that they have power over in some respects and created. Mm -hmm. Like, does it ever cross your mind that this isn't how people want to live? That uh, people don't want to have to operate this way? No. Like, does it ever? And I, I just thought about that. I was like, it never, it, they just think this is normal. This is how it's supposed to be. But yeah. I was like, this is, Yo, and I think that's the hard part of <laughs> Yo. about the workplaces because they they're a mirror of that as well absolutely it it is 
I'm I'm starting to not get surprised, but it's still surprising when like after I'll I'll do a talk and and say within the talk I bring up the whole thing about code switching. Without a doubt, there is going to be at minimum one white person who goes, I never knew this was happening. I had no clue. Oh my goodness, I don't know what it would be like to leave a portion of myself outside of the door before coming into work. And there lies the privilege, right? You know, and I say privilege has blind spots. There lies the privilege that you didn't even realize, to your point, Kamisha, that there's these whole millions of, 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 of human beings <laughs> existing differently from you, but because of history and colonization and whatever, you've created these spaces that are normal for you because it was designed for you. And everybody mm -hmm. else is trying to figure out how to, you know, make space for themselves, which is ridiculous because the world is ours, you know, it's for all of us. And yet we are telling people what you can and cannot do in, in this world that we didn't even create. Yeah, I, I want to wake up one day, <laughs> you know, and to, for our people to not experience that. And I think that is like one of the things about like how people go into entrepreneurship because or they only want to work in certain spaces because they're tired they're of tired. that. Um, and so I want to just segue to talk about support, right? So like, how can Black women build circles of support inside and outside of the workplace in terms of emotional intelligence? So when we think about like, okay, I work at a job that, you know, does support me as an employee or as understanding, how can I build support there? And then even outside of the workplace, like how you were talking about earlier, I got to go home and be attentive to all these other people, how can I build that support there? That's a good question. I would say that within the workplace, to, to the example that you gave, we, we want to maximize the mm, mentors, advocates, and sponsors within our, our organization. That can be white or black, right? And when, when I encourage people to practice their emotional intelligence, I'm asking them to, in real time, ask themselves, you know, what do I feel and what do I need? And so, and, and, and so like, what are you sensing? If I'm talking, if you and I are working together, Kamisha, and you are my, my leader, do I feel safety with you? Is, is there examples of your own EQ creating the space where I can ask you questions. I can be, ch I, I can challenge. I know that you're going to support me. Then that's what I need to do. So I, I would never encourage a black woman to, you know, just jump into the fire. Not every workplace is a safe space. So sometimes your support may actually not be where you work or may not be on your team. So look for the safe people. You know, what you call it? have receipts, you know, people show you <laughs> how they are going to be. So like when some, if, if, if somebody asked a question and your leader shut it down and th this is what they normally do, I would not necessarily go, I think this is the person that I want to support me at this business. 
Is there, you know, maybe it's a leader above them. Maybe it's someone who works in a different company, but is in a similar field. So I really would just encourage Black women, professional Black women to find out who is in their field, who's in a position that they're striving to get into. You know, what are your goals? Who can help you to get into that? Because, and, and they don't have to be another Black woman but they definitely need to be someone that's going to be real with you and support you and, and be able to advocate for you. When it comes to outside of the workplace, this is again, where we have to ask ourselves the honest question about how, how am I showing up in my tribe? Because I think sometimes we want support, but we are like the least supportive. And so <laughs> you sitting here like my tribe ain't doing nothing for me. It's like, well, how are you showing up for them? How are you supporting mm -hmm. them? Or it could be the other way around where you're constantly the support. You're the number one. Everybody goes to you and you tired and you just want to breathe. Then that's still something that you should evaluate going like, why is it that my tribe kind of revolves around me? That if I'm not the one that's together, then I, I don't have anybody to fall back on. So if you are a number one, you need to find other number ones and use your EQ. And not everybody that was with you should stay with you. And I know some people may feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. with that. Sometimes our trauma keeps people, you know, longer than they need to be, be here longer than they need to. You know, I have a line like, you know, if the atmosphere smells funky, probably somebody's there past their expiration date. So you need to <laughs> use your own EQ and ask yourself, man, when 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 I'm around this person, do they spark joy? Are they filling my cup or is it draining? You know, I have to use my EQ in real time, <clears throat> excuse me, to recognize what's working, what's not working for me. And that goes both ways in, in our corporate space and in our private. It's it's all good. <laughs> but thanks so much for sharing about that. Like you said, like all skin folk are not kin folk. And so when it comes to building the social support, definitely lean on the people who you feel you can trust. Um that I think that's a good point to make because I've been in situations where I felt like, okay, this other black person is probably going through these same experiences. I can lean on them. <laughs> Did I make that terrible mistake? Um, and also realizing that even the opposite race isn't the enemy. Um, uh, some of some white people can understand um, the things that Black women go through. They can empathize or sympathize with us. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's not necessarily what you need. Like, I don't need you to be my homie in the workplace, but I do need you to help me get to where I'm trying to go. Like, if you have these professional goals, seek out who can help you maintain and not. And again, not to be manipulative, but if there's a person that you respect and you can tell they respect you, they don't need to know all of the ins and outs and, you know, the, the the tears that you cry as a black woman. If Steve, the white man goes, you're smart. I don't understand how you haven't gotten this promotion. And then you go, I know why I haven't gotten the promotion. And you bring the awareness to because th most of the time they're not even aware. They're just going like, mm -hmm. uh, 
A and B is not equal C. Like I could tell you what the B is. The B is for black. That's why I'm not getting this from <laughs> So, you know, you want to be able to encourage, especially those who don't, who aren't our skin folk. You want to encourage their allyship, their advocacy, their support, not just for you, but for somebody else and let them be aware of it. Like, hey, the reason why I was able to get promoted was not be just because you said something. I knew I had this in the bag. Like, I have the receipts. I have the credentials. So it's not to pacify them. It's not to make them feel like, you know, it's it's Captain Save assistant. That's not what we're talking about. But we want them to continue to do that work, right? Because we understand like, okay, if this space was really designed for you, a black, cis, hetero male, then you actually have a lot more leverage to create the change that is needed here. And I want you to be aware that when you spoke up for me, you know, to HR or whatever, that is what these other people who are here, the, you know, the, the other sister, the, the the queer brother over here the disabled individual over here like they need you to speak up for them because they're not they're intentionally not being heard so but yeah it's not it's not always that they need to empathize it's that they need to be putting their privilege into action well thank you so much Farah, for just sharing like all about emotional intelligence how it affects Black women, other people of color, and like how we can all increase our emotional intelligence. Um, our hot topic has to do with DEI in the workplace. So, over, you probably have a better uh, idea of when DEI became a little bit more prominent, but it at least seems like within the last five years. But how is it transforming workplaces, and what are some existing challenges with implementing equity in the workplace? Mm. Well, let me make sure I make this clear. I am not a DEI practitioner. Bless those who are. They've been doing the work. Yes, bless them. Bless them, Lord. <laughs> They've been doing the work for decades. But you are right. I I would agree with you, Kamisha, that I think we definitely see a you know, rise of the popularity of the DEI role, like as a specific like department or title within like the last five years and definitely since COVID and, and George Floyd's murder. And unfortunately, I think there was a lot of lip service, a lot of window dressing, a lot of let's protect ourselves because in reality, DEI didn't necessarily start because companies were like, I think we need to do a better job taking care of our people. It was, we don't want to get sued. And so it was more for legal reasons. And I think it's still, I think that's still the undercurrent of, of a lot of things against like discrimination and whatnot. And so what we're seeing now with the laws around affirmative action, what we're seeing now with people kind of removing the DNI department from their organizations, what we see now with folks just questioning is it worth it? 
I don't see it going anywhere though, <laughs> because there's too many people who are doing the work, who are passionate about the work, who understand why it's needed and they're not going anywhere. So I keep saying like, y'all want to say DI is dead. And I'm like, well, it's about to be the zombie apocalypse because folks still going to be out here <laughs> doing whatever it is. It may just be repackaged in a different way. I personally do feel like there was an attack on it because so many people swung the pendulum in one direction, especially after George Floyd, rushing to do all these things without understanding why they actually were doing them. And so once cool. they realized like, this seems like work. I don't think we really want to do this. Then now it's like, we don't really need to do this. You know, so I'm, I'm forgetting the name of the company right now. It starts with a B and it's, oh, it's going to drive me crazy. But I remember it was like a tech company and they pretty much were like, we're not, you can't talk about anything related to diversity, equity, inclusion in, in our, our company anymore. Oh my gosh, this is going to drive me crazy. <laughs> Try to remember the name of the company, Ooh. but they lost, I want to say 40% of, of their workforce after they put out <laughs> that, 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 you know, memo. And that's why I'm saying, I don't think it's going to go anywhere, especially with the changing of the age within the workforce. Gen Z is like, we're looking for equity. We're looking for work-life alignment. We're looking for um, leaders that can empathize with us. I don't think mm -hmm. they're going to accept, we don't care about DNI. We don't care about belonging. It's going to get done, but it just may be done differently. And I do feel that some, also some of the pushback was, and again, no disrespect to my DNI practitioners that are out there, but I do think that some probably made the work a little bit more challenging because there was a lot of leading with condemnation. Like you white folks need to get this. Mm -hmm. I don't know how come y'all don't get this. There's kind of like the scare tactic and the fear tactic. And I'm like, that condemnation just brings resistance. It, it doesn't bring anybody to, to acknowledge what's going on. What you want to do is to bring conviction. You know, conviction goes, ooh, I see my hand in it now. I'm now going to hold myself accountable and try to do a 180 and try to do better. So I'm hoping that we can move away from the condemnation and condemning way that some, again, not all, but that some DNI practitioners have been doing and leading to a place of where we're actually asking folk to check themselves and, and do the EQ work. I really think you can't do the DEI without EI. You can't try to understand implementing all these things about people without being emotionally intelligent. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the DEI, like it's, it's been, you know, it's a shift in the right direction, but how, how it, how it happens is like kind of where things are a yeah. little bit all over the place. Um, but I think as time goes on, just with anything, it'll get more refined, it'll get better, it'll get more effective um, over time. And just the climate in our country, we're in a very polarizing, very, it's a very kind of, um, it's a shifting happening in our country. And so with that shift, there's going to be uncomfortability. And there's also going to be, there's going to be a fight for certain things. And so we can't give up the fight. So, We'll just do our final takeaways. 
Apara, if you could share how people can get connected to you, where they can find your book, and anything that you want to share about that to leave with our audience about emotional intelligence. Sure. First, I'll leave the quick tip. So if you were thinking right now, okay, what's one thing I can do to, to raise my EQ um, is to ask yourself, it seems like a simple question. It may be harder for those of us who experience some trauma, especially some so sexual uh, trauma, um, because we may have been used to having people ignore our voice. But I want you to just ask this question. First thing, when you wake up, how am I feeling? Without judgment, just go, you know, whether you're excited about the day, whether you're anxious about the day, whether you're still angry about something that happened yesterday, just acknowledge that emotion and then do it again right before you go to bed. And then what I want you to do is like within the next 30 days, increase that. So start asking yourself around lunchtime, how am I feeling? On your drive home, how am I feeling? Because what I want you to do is to become more in tune with yourself in real time. Because again, self-awareness is the bedrock of emotional intelligence. So the more you are used to knowing how you feel when you are feeling it, you are going to become less reactive or less passive aggressive, you know, where it's like later you go, oh, I don't understand where I popped off. Like, where did that come from? It's been bubbling, you know? So that's a way that you can kind of decrease the space between the moment and awareness. So that would be one exercise that I would encourage your readers, I mean, your listeners to do. And for those who would become readers of my book, you can definitely grab a copy of The Color of Emotional Intelligence on Amazon. You can get the ebook on Amazon and at Barnes and Noble. And if you want to learn more about my work, definitely, I would love for you to visit my website, www.workingwelldaily.com, or you can email us directly at info at workingwelldaily.com. And I'm not, I do have social media, but I'm not on all the social media streets as actively as I was before, except for LinkedIn. So if you really want to get into my, my thoughts, my articles, all of those things, definitely follow me on LinkedIn at Farah Harris LCPC. Thank you, Farah. And Jada, any quick tips? Uh, yeah, my quick tip is to learn more about emotional intelligence. And with that, to pick up The Color of Emotional Intelligence by our guest, Farah Harris. Yeah, that's my quick tip for today. How about you, Kanisha? My quick tip is to expand your empathy to other people who you work with or just in your life in general. I think one of the most important things that we are taught when we are younger is to see each other and to have care and concern and empathy for each other. And so even though we have a lot going on in our lives, it doesn't cost you anything. <laughs> to be, you know, supportive and kind and try to be understanding and listen to other people's experiences. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much, Farah, for being here for the Quick Tip Podcast. We will share Farah's information in the show notes. Again, this is a part of our Black Women at Work series for the Quick Tip Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Take care and be well. Thank you for tuning in to the Quick Tip Podcast with Sissa Afia. Stay connected with us by following us on Instagram and Facebook at Sissa Afia. 
Join us for one of our upcoming groups, classes, or workshops, and sign up for therapy if you're an Illinois resident at www.sisterafia.com services. And if you enjoyed this episode, do us a favor and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We greatly appreciate you for being a part of our community, and we look forward to connecting with you soon. Take care.